Hello and welcome to Groovecast, the podcast for the rhythm section with me, Ashley Walker. And me, Charlie Smith. <laughs> and um, for today's episode, which is going to be our uh, final episode of uh, season two, um, we thought we'd do one of our favourite things, which is not talking about ourselves, talking about some other people. Yeah, we've had enough of that this season. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, and so we've done a few sort of top ten lists, top five lists, favourite groove albums, all that kind of thing. And um, so we thought we'd uh, talk a little bit about some of our sort of, um, some more of our heroes and try and sort of narrow it down to my top three bass players and Charlie's top three drummers. Yeah, um, it's just another attempt of how many ways can we get a top something yeah. into an episode of Groovecast format <laughs> idea yeah um and yeah as like with all these things it could have been like a million different people as we've literally just been talking about before we started recording and so we, if we get chance we'll give some honorable mentions and in future we might even come back to this and do you know another three picks and um unlike some of the other ones as we've just been saying and there's uh you know there's no um real order it's not like there's going to be a top one or anything it's just sort of you know three of our picks really yeah three favorites yeah so do you want to start us off with your one of your drummers that you've gone for yeah i mean we said we tried to avoid some of the blindingly obvious choices that we've talked about at length before but i'm gonna do it and say steve (laughs) gaff which yes we spoke about it before yes we've discussed it but you can't deny that he's, I would argue, the best session player alive at the minute. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, for me, what I've always liked about him is just his approach to, to playing. Is that it's all about the song. It's all about the, the feel and the groove. It's not about the flashy fill that he learnt last week or the, the licks and the chops and things. Although... Everyone tries to take off Steve Gadd licks, as I'm sure they do with certain bass players who we might come to. Um, I know one in particular that you may discuss has exactly that same that same thing of, oh, everyone wants to try and play a, a Steve Gadd lick or a, a whoever lick. Mm. But it's not about that. It's about he picked those to fit a particular song at, at a particular time. Um, so, yeah, for sort of that approach of his of just you know listen to any of the, the stuff he did with Al Jarreau or Chick Corea you know even when he's on his shall we say the busier side of his playing he's still totally about the groove and about doing doing everything to make the groove the best it can be mm. um, and I was watching a, an interview with him oh I think with Rick Beato recently that just came out that was quite enjoyable to watch um, for an hour of just gad stories and and great stuff that was I really enjoyed it. Um, but he was talking about when he was in a, a, a the band Stuff, which he did in the I think it was in the seventies, late seventies, with you know loads and loads of great players. Uh, Richard T was in the band on piano and and a few others. <laughs> and he said he was always looking at their faces during the songs to to see if they were in you know if they were in the groove and see where the groove was at. He said he was looking at faces and as well as how they were playing. 
he was totally trying to find where the groove sort of sat for everyone, which I thought was kind of just a different approach to to most people who would, you know, just sit flailing away behind the kit, not giving a toss about what anyone else was doing. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that kind of that kind of thing always has been something I've really liked. And then also just his, his should we say, musical choices sort of glean well with for me that he you know he comes from i think he comes from like a a rudimentary or military snare background and so he's everything he does stems from that you know anything you hear like the the 50 ways to leave your lover thing is all really it's based around a rudiment pattern or the solos at the end of asia are all based around i'm going to talk french for a minute for you but uh based around Ratner McHugh's and different flam patterns and and, um, and ways of applying rudiments to, to the kit, you know, which is kind of something I enjoy doing in my own playing, is putting rudiments around the kit in different ways rather than just flailing about 30-second notes looking for the next gospel chops or anything like that. Yeah, what I like about the... Adam. I mean, he's one of these, certainly with two of my picks and probably with all three of yours, they're always like the ones that are talked about, like they're always going to be near the top of the list. And like, I know a lot of drummers who, you know, like always go to him as their top one. Just And for me, what I like about him is it's he's done all the like, chick career and all that kind of, and the Steely Dan stuff. And then you, you can see him playing with like Eric Clapton or Paul Simon or stuff that's probably not for him like the hardest stuff to play but as you say suits the song and when you see those um like a few years ago i think on sky they had one of the eric clapton slow hand at 70 things on the tv and it's like as soon as it comes on you see him on drums it's like oh this is gonna be good yeah it is it's you know it's it's that that thing and and again you know he's not also he's not only been a sideman you know, as some do, you know, he he's done his own stuff as well and had his own projects on the go with, like, the Gad Gang or the Steve Gad Band um, and also doing stuff with... I saw him with an organ trio a couple of years ago with Michael Bleacher and Dan Hemmer. That was particularly brilliant. You know, like a really stripped-back Hammond sax drums trio. Nothing, nothing in the way, you know, no, no real... Uh, dressing it up just that really raw and really pure which I I really liked so yeah but it's it's also as you say the variation he's done jazz he's done the the funk stuff he's done a bit of rock you know he's worked with just about everyone there is to work with I think he he even played on some stuff with Paul McCartney when he was doing uh, one of his one of his solo albums, or one of, I can't remember, I think it was one of his solo albums rather than a, a Wings project, but mm. he played on stuff for him, you know. There's, I don't think there's many people who he hasn't worked with, you know, worth mentioning anyway. But that was, <laughs> it's like the, just someone who can sort of crisscross the genres and work with anyone and still sound. You know, it's one of those things as well, it's like he's, he's got such a recognisable sound. Mm you know of the kind of the really 
flat dead toms, you know, but obviously with his touch and things, it just makes it come alive. Yeah, yeah, really, and like from I know you've obviously been able to meet him and stuff, but one of the like really down to earth, and even though he's one of the like superstar drummers in terms of even people who aren't like into drums or into music like know of him and stuff but and a really cool guy as well yeah absolutely so swinging yeah. it over let's hear <laughs> your first pick well yeah as you mentioned at your the start of your um one there it's like tough to do one of these lists because as we say there's always like ones who are going to be near the top of the of the list and we've probably talked about him quite a bit I think this guy I haven't talked about that much on the podcast um, probably because although he's well he's one of like always, always near the top of the list and even to this day still being talked about he's not one who's as much influenced my playing probably because it's just like of another world but my um, one of mine was Jacko Pistorius of course um, <laughs> and um one of the things which is really funny because I was talking about him the other day um, with my bass teacher Paul shout out to Paul um, <laughs> he'll probably be watching or listening um, and uh, yeah it's one of these things where he's um, you know obviously been passed away for around you know nearly 40 years or something like that and he's still being talked about to this day as you know being one of the greatest ever if not the greatest ever and it's one of those things where um, the more people talk about it, the more other people are kind of like, was he that great, really? I mean, was he all that? And I think so. Um, and just doing the research on him for this video and then also talking to my bass teacher, it's like the stuff he's done that I never even realised. Like he played on a Joni Mitchell album and worked with Pat Metheny. And um, when I think some people, when you think of him, uh, initially you think of maybe like the harmonics and crazy stuff he could do with his bass and maybe fast really fast fingering or stuff like that but then you listen to some of the stuff he played on the Joni Mitchell album and also with Weather Report some like really beautiful ballads he just can sit in and groove and um, even though he was probably like in the stars in his head or whatever just away with the fairies um, yeah and I mean, like, when you look up, like, someone like him, just the amount of bass players he influenced and uh, and stuff. And um, and then also doing the research, uh, was learning about his, the band he put together, the Word of Mouth band. And just some of the names of the guys that were in his band just kind of says all you need to know, really. Like having um, Wayne Shorter, Michael Brecker, um, Peter Skin on drums. Like, I, I think um, you might have... I think Pete Erskine and Jacko were near the top of my list when we did the bass players and drummers uh, list. I mean, Pete Erskine's probably got to be one of the most patient guys in the world to, like, he could sit in the groove while Jacko's just going crazy for, like, ten minutes on the chicken or something. <laughs> yeah, Pete Erskine's a, an incredible player. And, of course, Weather Report alumni, shall we say. Yeah. You know, he did that for a, for a long while. Um, but, yeah, he's a great jazz player as well, Peter Erskine really mm. just like small group stuff is some of the stuff he's done there's really yeah really nice yeah yeah i totally agree on jacko it's um yeah you know it's one of those people who i haven't listened to actively though i've heard a lot of the stuff he's mm. played on you know obviously i've played the chicken a, a thousand times with different bands o over the years but 
you know some of the weather reports stuff you know and some of the as you say like the Joni Mitchell thing was there's some really great tunes on there of a, of a completely yeah. different style to what he was sort of known for yeah and one of the things that I did know before kind of forgot about was he was also a really good drummer as well not many people like think of that when they think of him and I think um, also doing my research for this, I learned that he injured his wrist when he was young, and which affected his ability to play the drums. But I'm pretty sure on um, Teen Town he played the drums on that, and um, obviously Wayne Shorter's on that as well. But well, that's one of the like go-to things. Donna Lee as well is one of the things that you think about. But um, I think one of the reasons why he's like one of the reasons I didn't want to pick him was because he is always like near the top of the list and. It's because, like, when he came on the scene, and I just know, again, talking to my bass teacher, how, like, it was just, like, crazy when they first heard his, the the, so, the first solo album he ever did. And, um, and listening to, like, Come On Over, and um, he just totally, like, moved the goalposts as far as um, bass was concerned, and I think brought kind of the fretless thing a bit more to the forefront. I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure if it's true or not, you have to do your own research into this, but I heard that originally his bass wasn't a fretless bass, it was just a Fender, uh, like a Fender Precision or a Fender Jazz bass, and he took the frets off of it and um, made it what it was. But um, yeah, he's always one of those guys when talking to bass players, he's always like there or thereabouts at the top of the list. So got to give a, a shout out to, to Jacko in this uh, top three. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you say, just one of those great players who's, you know, just was something that, you know, came came around that was completely different and, you know, like no one had heard any of it before. As I'm sure, to be honest, I'm sure a few of the picks on our respective lists have been a bit of that kind of, you know, you want to say game changer, but that kind of just came in and completely did something different or did something at a different level which is yeah kind of brings us on to my next pick which is um <laughs> another another session great and another one with a, again a very varied career um which is Simon Phillips and yeah with Simon it's you know it's it's you know, if you think about what Gad does, Sam Phillips is a totally different approach to that. You know, he's got the big kit mm. and loads of sounds, loads of symbols and all the things. But he knows how to use it. He's not using everything all the time. But when he does a, you know, if he takes a solo as he does with his with his fusion band protocol or when he was doing the, the Toto gigs, he did a solo. Um, I think it was during Hydra, but I could be wrong. Um, it, in He just has a really great approach as a soloist you know in in terms of using being really melodic and and sort of fluid in his playing style which is something i'd really love to be more of but you know <laughs> life's too short for carving Wouldn't... a drum kit that big about when you've not got a roadie <laughs> but um but yeah and also his his open-handed thing which i think he sort of took that idea off of billy cobham a little bit I think Billy Cobham was do, doing it just a bit before, but using that to his advantage of having one, having the left hand on the hi-hat and having the right hand sort of free to do anything else, 
just makes for some really really interesting ideas and and patterns which you just listen to them and you go yeah that's that's kind of <laughs> kind of you know s- something really different and something you don't hear many other players doing so yeah. you know and then looking through his his sort of his CV you've got you've got people as wide as Toto and 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 his you know his jazz things with Hiromi and and Protocol his, his fusion band but then he's also worked with the who he worked on jesus christ superstar in the west <laughs> end he worked with judas priest uh <laughs> you know which is a vast world away from you know and then also of course playing in the sid phillips uh orchestra which was his dad's dance band when he was <laughs> a kid that was his first gig so it was like going from dance band to judas priest is quite the quite the jump but um but yeah and you know sort of on the on the thing of gad there is a, an album we may have mentioned before on here um which is windows in the jungle by 10cc and it's got both of them on it it's got steve <laughs> gad and simon phillips on it which is that's about as good as it could get for me <laughs> as far as drummers on an album yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've, we've talked about it before, but I think of, you know, like that. Um, I mean, obviously, he was in Toto for a few years, but. And I loved the lineup with him, obviously, when Lee Scalar came in and depth on it. But my favourite, probably, well, one of my favourite Toto live concerts is the one with Nathan East and, uh, the, and Simon Phillips. And just like, it's just such a great concert. And yeah, again, he's one of these guys who, like, like Gad, can just do what he. Well, you know, like you just said there about his playing style, but then he can just sit totally in the style of the song. And I think as well with, as I know we've talked about before, with Toto especially, like um, with Jeff Beccaro, they already had such a great drummer and like so people loved his style. And he came, when Simon Phillips came and it wasn't like he was trying to be Jeff Beccaro. He like took it and did his own thing with it, didn't he? And I yeah, loved it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's got to be said, Jeff Beccaro's really high on my list of potentials for this for this episode but you know as you'll hear it's like he didn't just didn't quite make the grade to the, to the top three but we'll, i'm sure we'll discuss him at length at some point yeah. down the down the line but yeah you know the other thing with simon phillips i like is is he, he kind of you know he got into being a sound engineer uh, as a, like a recording engineer and a producer so you hear a lot of that in not only his playing, but his sound. He's got wide open, ringy drums, and you know, won't set up on carpet. Has to be on on wood floor <laughs> to get the get the response. Which I really, I like that sound of. And it's it, you know, someone said to me about, or I read in an interview. I can't quite remember that they went to see um, him at Ronnie Scott's and stood mm. behind his kit, and it sounded terrible <laughs> on its own. When he was, when he was tuning it up, you know, it it, it didn't sound like it was gonna, you know, just overtake everything. <laughs> and then they went and stood out front and listened to it when he started playing it, and his touch was just great. That even though they were really, you know, sort of everything was ringing and buzzing all together, it made a really nice sound, sort of like a piano does. You know, if you had a piano and just leave one string in, it sounds terrible. Mm. 
but when everything else is there to give it the to give it the resonance it it, it sounds a lot better so i kind of that's a, it was just a, a totally different approach to someone like gad who's you know kits covered in gaffer tape and dampened and made to sound made to sound great still but in a totally different way mm. we could do a whole um series on just our favorite toto lineups and depths and yeah probably <laughs> Um, yeah, so we'll move on to my next one, which again, I mean, this guy's like, I think in 2020 he was voted the, uh, or certainly put uh, number one in as the greatest bass player of all time in a top 50 list, which uh, kind of says all you need to know, really. So my um, second one was James Jameson, of course, you know, famous for all the Motown records he played on. Um, he was the first bass player that I ever like heard of or knew anything about um learning stuff like my girl and stand by me and those things where the bass is so key um like with so many of his um stuff that he played on similar to jacko in that he passed away really young which is maybe possibly one of the reasons why like those two are still talked about and sort of held in such a high regard um, and as we were saying before, starting recording, just the list of people that James Jameson influenced, bass players he influenced, would just be enough to put in a great bass players list in itself. Yeah. Um, I think like to influence for people like at the time, the Beatles and Paul McCartney like really loved him and wanted to play like him. Like that just kind of says. And this was a guy who was just a sideman, and like as we all know for years they weren't really heard of but to the mainstream audience that all the funk brothers and the motown guys weren't talked about um in the mainstream but yeah really um just influenced so many people he influenced jacko as well um and um yeah he was just like the king of groove um like unique unique in his bass lines similar to jacko as well in like totally changing the way the bass was kind of thought of and um he you know a lot of melodic sort of runs and riffs and hooks that you know would keep going through the song stuff like get ready um and you know yeah uh, build me up but buttercup uh, not build me up buttercup um sugar pie funny bunch whatever that one's yeah. called <laughs> uh yeah i suppose you know before that all came about it would have been either walking bass lines in jazz or you know two two in the bar plodding along you know maybe yeah. something a, a bit bluesy but yeah I suppose, I suppose he was one of the first who sort of made having a bass line a, a thing you know yeah like the, the bass line being recognisable my girl's kind of the perfect de- example as that ca- kind of carries the tune yeah I mean like in the stuff like Stand By Me and My Girl it's like when you think of those songs, you'd like those bass riffs are what you come to your mind straight away when you say "My Girl" or "Stand By Me," and then you go to something like, um, and they're not particularly busy, but they're totally like great how he thought of that. And then there's stuff like "Ain't No Mountain High Enough," and if it was anybody else, or you'd possibly think that's such a busy bass, he doesn't need to be that busy, but it was just the way he could create these um, runs and stuff and still he just sat in the groove and um those tracks wouldn't be the same without it really yeah absolutely i mean the 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 stand by me thing the the bass riff is the riff 
yeah. you know, that's that's the riff of that song. It isn't on a guitar or anything. It's on the bass. Yeah. And same sort of with um, My Girl, you know, that's, as you say, it's the bit you, you think of. That whole intro is just the bass, really. Yeah. Bringing, bringing the tune together. So, yeah, it was. It was just a, a complete, as you say, totally different way of thinking about playing a groove. Yeah, I think one of the differences as well with like James Jameson and someone like Carol Kay or like the Wrecking Crew people, which were obviously of the same era. So I think with more of the Wrecking Crew stuff, like with with certainly with when it came to the Beach Boys stuff, like they had their parts written out and like something like the bass line to um, Good Vibrations. I think Brian Wilson like knew what he wanted in that. Whereas with um, you know James Jameson, I think a lot of the time it was just the chords or, or like just a little. He wouldn't have a much to go on, and he would just go and take it and take it to the next level. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right in that. You know, the Funk Brothers was they they made the groove themselves. You know, they wrote the grooves a lot of the time. Whereas the Wrecking Crew were more sort of a give them a chart and they'll play it. Yeah, sort of the a. Hit- hit makers yeah because you know it's different parts of the thing is you know in where where the wrecking crew were in like la were probably you know time is money gotta get it done in minimal amount of time whereas the funk brothers were more of a not putting too much more time in but making spending the time to make it feel and sound great with you know what they had which wasn't phil Spector producing and making a wall of sound with loads of, over, of percussion and overdubs and a choir and all of it it was just a band and a singer yeah. a lot of the time yeah and um yeah and one of the like sad things about you know like james jameson is obviously and with all those kind of session you know it's true of a lot of those session guys is that um obviously he wasn't heard of never really got the recognition he deserved in his lifetime um and eventually sort of fell out of favor i know he did some like gladys knight uh stuff and i did a few things like in the early 70s but then with sort of the change of the gear that was being used and the high-tech amps and stuff like slapping coming in and uh you know and people like jacko coming in as well who were influenced and pino paladino who were literally like influenced by james jameson he eventually fell out of favor and you know wasn't getting the work as much but yeah always um as we say always one of the ones who's near the top and um just for the way he influenced so many other people you can't not talk about him so yeah for sure and speaking of people you can't not (laughs) talk about on terms of influence which might not seem like the most obvious choice but i will totally back myself up on this is uh ringo Starr. (laughs) yeah and a lot of people would say one trick pony you know only worked with the Beatles, didn't really do much else. Which, yes, kind of, but also, he just... Uh, talk about changing the game. He he, he changed the game, you know. Uh, mm. As far as the, the, the Beatles were concerned, came in late compared to everyone else, although they all knew him, and I think they all idolised him a little bit at the yeah. time for his, his work with Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, but he just had... A different approach and again sort of like gad it was all about the song you know didn't matter how simple or how complicated it was about the song um you know just to pick out a couple you know things like in my life or 
on the Please Please Me album even, um, Anna got to him, the Arthur Alexander thing. He played that just bass, snare and hi-hat pretty much all the way through the the verses. Totally spaced out, you know. You know, it, almost an earlier version of what would be considered now a linear groove of not playing two things at the same time. So, but just a really different approach but then you hear things like Ticket to Ride and that sort of lazy snare and tom groove that he put in was just really clever you know mm. and no one would you know no one else was doing that that was just a a Ringo thing of you know yeah. and then following Paul McCartney's bass lines on things like Come Together just playing rather than playing a beat just playing playing the riff joining in a little bit with that and yeah just his way of playing and his his feel more than anything you know that sort of slightly straight slightly swung sort of really just really cool feel that so many Beatles songs had but then it wasn't just you know itsy bitsy pop songs you know they you could argue that the Beatles were one of the first to do sort of a a heavy rock track when they did Helter Skelter you know, and he was lashing the drums and shouting, I've got blisters on my fingers and all that bit. <laughs> uh, and then also doing, you know, light stuff with brushes, you know, um, like that. Uh, this boy was a, a brush thing on the hi-hat and just playing it really simple and laid back was was great. But then, you know, his, his approach as a left-handed player on a right-handed kit comes in when you hear the fills on A Day in the Life and they're, they just, you know, it was like only he could have gone. Yeah, I'm just going to put loads of fills around this and frame the vocals in, which is what it was. It was all, you know, he wouldn't ever try and tread on a vocal line if it if there was a gap, then he'd put his fill in, which I, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's totally the right way to play. But I think the amount of inspiration he had on every player that followed, you know, and certainly for me, I think he was. One of the first drummers, you know, like that I really took notice of and went, "Oh, he's he's great. I like him," you know. Mm. And obviously, heard all the Beatles stuff, watched all the the documentaries and the live footage that you know that I could get my hands on, and just became absorbed in that. And you know, went and saw him with with the All Star Band about. 15 years ago now in Liverpool and that was an amazing gig and seeing him double drumming with Greg Bissonette who <laughs> himself was really influenced by Ringo mm. was really nice and then just you know his way of, of, of doing that and then of course joining Paul McCartney on the gig I saw him do a couple of years ago at the O2 which I shall never stop rubbing into you because I know you wish you were there <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah it's like he's just total uh, you know a real one-off that you know yeah he didn't he wasn't a, a real technique master or uh, you know he didn't work with the great and the good of the jazz world or the great and the good of anything else aside from you know his sort of his, his Beatles thing and then his solo stuff and his all-star band stuff later on where yeah you've had people like Steve Lukather come in or um uh uh, you know, different players. Edgar Winter's done the All Star Band at different times. 
Richard Page from Mister Mister. So he's had he still had some some different names in his in his lineup, which is which makes for a good band. You know, I just wish they came over here more often and toured around because they haven't done for years. Yeah, yeah, I think as well. Like um, when you watch something like I did recently, the the whole Get Back film. I think when you see how um, you know they were kind of working and how it went, when it wasn't always cooking and it, they were having a tough time, like whenever when they would eventually come to play and for that documentary film, they're playing a lot of the same songs over and over again. Ringo's like the steady, you know, holding it together. And then when you when they eventually get to the rooftop concert, he's just like great. It's that's one of the things that when people say about him not being a great drummer, I'd say well, watch the rooftop concert and um and like what you were saying about the kind of lazy um not sh- if it's swung or if it's straight. Like the long and winding roads, one of the sort of like great examples of that where it's you're not quite sure if it's swung or if it's straight at times. Yeah, so. it's it's just total. Yeah, it's just playing the right thing for for the music, which is exactly what that gig, as you know, in the Beatles, that's what he had to do, because that's what it was all about. You know, you had, you know, two of let's argue the greatest songwriters of all time in your band. You've got to make their songs sound good. You know, and yeah. The same goes for for them all as musicians, but Ringo in particular, just, you know, he he came in and and did his his thing. Yeah, um, one of the things with um, with you saying about the All Star Band, it's one of those um, YouTube recommended things. I kept getting things for his All Star Band, and I've seen bits of it, but never really paid that much attention to it. And then I just happened to just click on um, their one of their last uh, concert DVDs of uh, the Greek um, theatre, oh, yeah. I think, and um, of the video of them doing "Don't Pass uh, Don't Pass Me By," which of course is one of his songs that he wrote in the Beatles. And it's like one of those really basic, you know, kind of songs, couple of chords, but just like his ability to write a really catchy little, you know, country rock tune as well. Just, um, yeah, I love it. And what a great band he has, like the best ever version you're going to hear of that song with Steve Lukather and, uh, yeah, and Greg Bissonette and, and all that on it. It's great. Yeah. So let's throw it to you for your last, your last pick. Yeah, so my um, last pick is um yeah one that's not obvious for um w- like one of these list things but it is i think i have talked about him before when we did the top uh, our favorite sort of bass and drum duos um and it's uh, John Patitucci obviously um known for his work with uh, Chick Corea in the electric band and his acoustic band um he's probably my favorite bass player um and just kind of purely because um around probably nearly five years ago six years ago now i'd say i thought i kind of knew about bass and well knew bass players and was pretty comfortable with my taste in like who i liked and everything and then as you do we're watching some music stuff on the tv and my dad said i'll put in um got a match chick career and i'd never heard of chick career or i mean i'd heard the name i think but i kind of just thought of it as like Oh, it's like gonna be really uh, like weird jazz and stuff, not my kind of thing at all. And um, yeah, put that video on, and that's like not even before he got to his solo, like, my mouth, my jaw was on the floor. Um, 
and I just remember messaging a friend who you know liked was massive on Dave Weckl and obviously it was Dave Weckl on drums and I said to him you need to check this video out and we were messaging each other while the video was still going on saying oh my god um yeah just a or I mean awesome bass player um sort of around the same time along with the, like Anthony Jackson brought the six string uh, bass into the spotlight um and just has also obviously had a career playing with some of the best musicians in the world um in his own like sort of trios and bands and in others like guys like Vinnie Colaiuta, Wayne Shorter, Herbie Hancock and obviously the Chick Career um trios which as I said before on uh, on that episode, it's I think the best um, amalgamation of players of all time. Just like the three, in my opinion, best guys at what they do. I mean, the thing with like these lists and you know the greatest of all time, it's like you know there's a million other bass players and drummers and guys that you'll never have heard of that are probably you know in wherever in the Philippines or in wherever that are probably like amazing as well, but. Um, out of the ones we've heard of, um, <laughs> he's certainly up there for me. And um, I think at the moment he's an artist in residency uh, in residence at Berkeley in obviously in the states. Um, and on top of those guys that I mentioned before, he's worked with. Um, I think he started out his career sort of working with Dave Grusin, um, and then he's worked with people like Omar Keem, Lee Rittner, Pete Erskine, who we mentioned before, Arturo Sandoval. Um, and just so many more, um, yeah. too many to mention. That's it. I suppose he's he's best known for the the stuff with with Chick, which is where I've definitely heard most of it, sort of him knowingly. You know, there's probably stuff I've heard with with him on it that I've never realised was with with him, as as there are with all these players. You know, you listen to something, and you know, I think it's always interesting when a player has that stamp that you can you can listen to something and go. Oh, I'm I'm sure it's going to be, you know, even without knowing the band or not knowing who the artist was, and you go, that sounds like either them or someone trying to to yeah. do it their way. You know what I mean? I've definitely had that with uh, with Steve Gadd before, where I've heard a record and thought that sounds very Gadd. That must be, mm. and it was, yeah, <laughs> totally <laughs> was. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not surprised. But I want to hear that song again now, or I want to hear that piece of music again to pick it apart, you know, a bit. But, but yeah, uh, Pat Tucci, I mean, a, a, an amazing player, and of course, someone, you know, I was, I, I was just thinking there uh, that all three of mine I've managed to see live at some point, and I'd, obviously for yeah. you, you can't say the same. But I think you you have seen Pat Tucci live, have you not? Yeah, and th- like one of those. Um... Yeah, very fortunate to obviously have got to see him with Chick Corea now that he's passed away. But and he that was with the acoustic um, band, and so obviously he was on upright bass and just it was just unbelievable. I think they only probably played less than five tunes because each one's like really long. But just as I've mentioned before on the podcast, one of my like favorite things I've ever been to see and and got to meet him afterwards as like we know at Ronnie Scott's you can do. Like when they just come out for a drink, or whatever, and he was re- like really nice guy, um, and the reason why I've one of the reasons I've put him in it obviously is because he's for me he's like my hero, but um, it's like he's not an obvious one in that he's not as talked about as 
of that era, people kind of go more towards Anthony Jackson, who of course is a monster as well, and would, you know, he's one of those honourable mentions, because I know a lot of bass players have him near the top of the list. Um, but he's not as talked about as Anthony Jackson, I think, because he's not done as many main, he's not done many all sort of mainstream uh, things, whereas Anthony Jackson obviously worked with people like Paul Simon and um, but he's, um, yeah, one of the reasons as well, I mean, I hold him up with, like, someone like Lawrence Cottle in that he's, like, you watch him doing the Chick Career thing and, like, all those fast runs and just tearing up the six-string bass and just such unique and amazing solos. And then you watch other things and he's, like, doing an amazing slap thing and that's, like, not a technique you associate with him. Similar to Lawrence Cottle, it's, like, you don't see him doing it that much and then all of a sudden they're amazing at that as well. Um, and like with Patatucci, it's um, he just got such um, big shoes to fill. When like I know there's a there's a video. I'm not sure if it's still on YouTube, but I saw a few years ago of um, Nathan East playing with the electric band, and I think he was like just covering for for a little while on one of the tours. And you can see, and he's like said afterwards, he really struggled with that gig. It was like kind of that was the top of his um, like ability there, and. Um, they did got a match on that gig and he like couldn't play the run like fast enough um which just sort of says <laughs> how great patatucci is and just um yeah awesome awesome player yeah so on that subject a little bit of honorable mentions so why don't you give us a, a couple of uh of those now I'll, I'll do a few as well yeah um, uh, well obviously like pe- people like paul mccartney could have been on there just to, like for the reasons that um, you know, you gave with Ringo really influential um, and unique. Uh, Bernard Edwards would have been near there for just my personal pick, just because of the influence on me and obviously on bass player since. Um, yeah, Anthony Jackson, as I mentioned before, Stanley Clark. Um, somebody who, uh, just a little thing with Stanley Clark that I heard about was, and I think. It, it might even be mentioned in the get back or one film or one of these things is that Paul or maybe it was later on McCartney wanted to get a lesson with Stanley Clark met Stanley Clark and wanted to sort of get his advice on bass playing and stuff and how he does the stuff that he he could do and um, Stanley Clark like said to him like why do you want to play like me man like everybody's trying to learn um, whatever like uh, come together and everybody's trying to learn like something and he said like you're fine for what you do man um yeah, so uh, Marcus Miller would have been another one who at the top of that list for again a per, more of a personal one, but also an awesome player, Victor Wooten. Um, so yeah, there are a couple of my uh, sort Just of honorable mentions. A handful. Yeah. What about you? Uh, yeah, um, obviously Jeff Picaro, as we as we mentioned before, Bernard Purdy would have definitely been up there. Um, but then sort of, you know, some of the the non sort of commercial players you, you, you know you get people like Elvin Jones Tony Williams um, Louis Belson really love Louis Belson's playing um, just again different at the time um, Kenny Clare of one of the British session guys who you know um, I've had long conversations with Neil Wilkinson about Kenny Clare <laughs> once you get Neil started on Kenny that's it it's uh, but no what a, what a player Kenny Clare was doing you know early Tom Jones things and and some really cool gigs and some great big band work as well 
But then you get, you know, people like Brian Bennett, great, really great player with the shadow stuff, but also, you know, later on doing doing his, his film work as, yeah, just, there, there's a, ha- a handful. I could go a lot deeper. David Garibaldi from Tower of Power is an, another one. And there's probably a whole host more that I've missed that I could have quite easily, you know, gone into total detail on. I mean, I'm a terrible hoarder for for old drum magazines and things, and you know, try and you do try and just build up your your your, your knowledge and your your base of of you know people you like, people you you're interested in, but also. I quite enjoy reading about people I've never heard of, you know, who did, whether they were in a band or whether they were a session guy around for a little bit in the 60s or, you know, Hal Blaine, there's another one I could have definitely talked about for a, a little bit. Uh, you know, what what is there to say about Hal Blaine other than, you know, he's, I think he's still probably the, the most recorded drummer in history. I want to say yeah. I could be wrong there, but I think it's probably close. You know, and yeah. J.R. Robinson is another sort of studio legend who, you know, just dissecting some of their playing is like, you can get so much out of it to to work on yourself or to just to listen listen out for. But yeah, I think that covers a small smattering of <laughs> of honourable <laughs> mentions for me. Yeah. Um, so of course, with the end of uh, this episode, that brings the end to our second season of Groovecast. That's it, um, yeah. 20 episodes total. Yeah. So if you missed any, you can go back and listen to them all. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's been a good uh, a good season. Obviously, we've had some memorable episodes. Um, obviously, if you haven't, um, any of the ones you've missed out, you know, go back and, and check them out. And um, we should have some exciting new stuff coming uh, later in the year hopefully yeah absolutely some more more episodes on the way fingers crossed um and also we've got which will probably have been out for a, a few weeks by the time this episode goes out but we've got some exciting new branding and uh and had some great work done by um uh, a great musician and uh, arranger but also great artist simon whiteside who's done some some lovely stuff for for Groovecast. So, if you haven't already, go check his uh, his page out. I'm sure we'll tag it in when we uh, we upload the some of the new the new images he's created for us because they're they're pretty cool. Yeah. So, thanks once again for watching and listening. If you're listening to this on any of the other platforms, um, and until next time, we'll see you on Groovecast. See you next season. <laughs>